WTBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Simple portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. That's really the whole purpose of the Lord's Prayer. It helps us by providing a perfect summary in outline form, very concise form, of the way every Christian is to pray. See, everything you need to know about prayer is wrapped up in the Lord's Prayer. Using the briefest of statements, Jesus sums up exactly what we all should be praying for, in principle, if not an exact wording. Now, let me give you a taste of how this works. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside for over 25 years, and his teaching ministry has expanded into what we call Verse by Verse Ministries. In our previous three programs, we aired Pastor Steve's message about the right attitudes to have when we pray. Today, as he works his way through the Sermon on the Mount, Pastor Steve begins a six-message series about what we generally call the Lord's Prayer. Actually, the prayer we should be calling the Lord's Prayer is in John 17. That's where Jesus prayed so passionately, first for himself, then for his disciples, and then for the generations of Christ followers to come. Pastor Steve's last message was about the attitude of prayer. Today, and for the next several broadcasts, we'll learn about the mechanics of prayer. You might say that Jesus had been telling us how not to pray, and now he's telling us how we should pray. Today, we'll be predominantly looking at chapter 6 of the book of Matthew as we progress in our study of Christ's model prayer. So, grab your Bible and your notepad because it's time for class to begin. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. As this morning, we begin a study of what's known as the Lord's Prayer. Really should be called the model prayer, the disciples' prayer. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. Jesus said, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now, as I said, this passage of Scripture is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. It is among the most beloved and really well-known verses found anywhere in the Bible. More sermons have been preached about this prayer than any other prayer mentioned in Scripture. And more people have recited these verses in their church services than certainly any other biblical passage. And yet, with all the attention that's been given to the Lord's Prayer, it is very surprising that most people don't realize that Jesus himself never prayed all the words of this prayer. In fact, not only didn't he pray this exact prayer, but he couldn't. He could not pray this exact prayer. It was impossible for him to pray exactly like this. And the reason, the reason for that is because 
in verse 12, we're told about praying for the forgiveness of sins. And since Jesus never had any sin to be forgiven, he could not have prayed this prayer. Therefore, in the words of one Bible teacher, this prayer is the prayer that Jesus never prayed. See, this prayer is called the Lord's Prayer, not because Jesus prayed these precise and exact words, but because he used these words to teach his disciples how to pray. It really, as I said, should be called the disciples' prayer, the model prayer, the children of God's prayer. As you'll recall from our previous studies in the Sermon on the Mount, starting with chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus begins to teach about righteous praying, how our praying is to be different from the Pharisees and and even pagans. And he says that uh, in, in principle here, he gives us characteristics of the right way to pray. First, he, he tells us that our praying should be marked by pure motives. We ought to pray for the right reasons. According to verses 5 and 6, he tells us that the right reason is not to, to get men to, to think that we're spiritual, not to get men's applause. Look at verse 5. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, meaning the Jewish religious hypocrites, the Pharisees, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. These, these men were religious stage actors, and they made sure that when they prayed publicly that others were around them. Why? Because they wanted to be thought of as great men of prayer, men who loved God. And look how spiritual I am. I'm praying, and they would usually go on and on with these prayers. And Jesus said, don't pray like that. That's all the reward they're going to get. They wanted the, the crowd to clap them, clap for them, and they've gotten that. That's it. He said, but you, in verse 6, when you pray, go into your inner room. Now, this doesn't mean that you can never pray in public. That's not what the Bible teaches. But what, that, what this is teaching is that we are, when we pray, we are to get alone with God, if not physically, certainly in our, in our minds, away from the distractions when you pray, go in your inner room, close your door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In other words, prayer is for the ears of God. Now, others may hear you, but you're not praying for them. Generally speaking, when you pray to God, get alone with him. It's all right to pray in public, but don't be thinking about what are others thinking as I'm praying. Do I sound okay? Pray to God and him alone. So, so righteous praying is marked, number one, by pure motives. We ought to have the right motives, not to try to impress others, but to to pour out our hearts to God. Secondly, righteous praying is characterized by having the uh, proper view of God, having your, uh, the right theological view of God, having a correct understanding of who he is, so that when we do speak to him, we aren't to be like the pagans who think that they that their gods are reluctant to answer their prayers. And so they badger them with volume of words, verses 7 and 8. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. He means the Gentile pagans. For they suppose that they'll be heard for their, their many words. When, when pagans pray, they, they think that they have to pour out these meaningless incantations and, and nonstop mindless words because in their view, their God or their gods are not interested in them. Their gods don't want to be hassled. Their gods don't want to be pestered. And so their deficient view of God calls them to, to pour forth a barrage of words in order to nag God 
to listen to them. So in their view, God is like this. All right, stop bothering me. I've heard you. If I, if I grant you this, will you leave me alone? That's the thinking. That's the thinking. And Jesus said in verse 8, So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You don't have to pour out the words to inform God, nor to hassle and pester Him, because He's not reluctant to answer your prayers. He's a loving Heavenly Father. In fact, He knows what you need before you even ask. Now, that's where we left off last week with Jesus emphasizing basically how we are not to pray. He's told us really how we're not to pray. We're not to pray like the hypocritical religious show-offs who are sinfully motivated, and we're not to pray like the pagan unbelievers who are theologically ignorant. Therefore, there's a progression of thought here. There's a next logical step in the Lord's unfolding lesson on righteous praying. It's this. It's this question that comes up then how should we pray? He's told us how not to pray. And if we followed the the path that the Lord has led us, you'd see that first he dealt with our heart's attitude, told us to get alone with God. Now that we're alone with God, he said, don't pray in meaningless repetition. And by the way, I might add, that doesn't mean that you can't repeat your prayers. The emphasis here is on meaningless, just not thinking about what you're saying. But now that you're alone with God, don't pray that way. Don't use meaningless repetition. And the next logical question is, then how do I pray? What do I say to God? How should I, how should I speak to him? And the answer to that question is found in the Lord's Prayer. In fact, the Lord's Prayer is the answer to that question. Rather than viewing, though, the Lord's Prayer as the precise way that Jesus always prayed, the Lord's Prayer was given as a, as I said, a model prayer, a model prayer for his disciples to learn from, follow in principle, but not an exact wording. It was never intended that, that we would say this verbatim. Its purpose isn't for us to recite Every word in this prayer, this prayer was intended by Jesus to be a a teaching tool, a a, a primer to guide his followers on the timeless truths that should govern the way we pray. Now, it's helpful to know that, that this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is not only mentioned in Matthew's gospel, it's mentioned one other time Jesus gave this and spoke of this in Luke chapter 11. I want you to turn there. Luke chapter 11. The reason that, that the Luke passage is very helpful is because it came, this, this prayer, this teaching on prayer came as a result of one of Christ's disciples asking a question, asking the Lord for help. And you can see in the Lord's response what he was doing, what the intent, what the purpose of the Lord's prayer really is. Notice this, chapter 11, verse 1. It happened, and by the way, this is a separate occasion than Matthew chapter 6. Now, the Lord may have used this prayer many times, but it's only recorded twice in the Gospels. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. Now, Christ's disciples apparently, not apparently, it does say it, had been observing him pray. They must have observed him many times. And they had been watching him pray, listening to him, and they must have been very impressed by his prayer life because one of them came up to Jesus and said, will you teach us to pray? Now, they were well aware that John the Baptist, and that's the John that's mentioned here, would you teach us as John taught his followers how to pray? They're very aware that John the Baptist had taught his disciples how to pray. And so they, they wanted Christ to teach them how to pray. Now, it was very common in those days for a disciple or, or disciples to, to uh, ask their rabbis to teach them 
certain recited prayers. And so this is probably, probably in, in somewhat of the cultural background here for a rabbi to teach his men how to pray. But I want you to understand a few things about this. First of all, keep in mind that our Lord's disciples were Jewish men, nurtured and raised on an Old Testament understanding of prayer. They were not ignorant of, of how to pray in the sense that they had never heard it. They, they grew up in homes where their dad prayed, their mom prayed. These were men who prayed themselves. They practiced prayer. And yet after watching Jesus Christ pray, they felt like they didn't know how to pray. And they needed him to teach them how to speak to God. There, there's more here than just a disciple asking a rabbi, teach us a rote prayer. In fact, that's not exactly what they're saying. In other words, his praying stirred the hearts of these men and they wanted to pray like him. They were that impressed. Against the background of his prayer life, they saw the deficiencies of their own prayer life. They felt as if they, they didn't even know how to pray. They realized what was, was lacking. Now, I want you to notice this. Secondly, they didn't ask Jesus to teach them a specific prayer to repeat word for word, verbatim. But rather, notice what, what exactly this disciple asked. That's why it's different than, the, than just the normal culture of their, of their day, asking a rabbi to give them a, a rote prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Now notice, they didn't say teach us a prayer, but teach us to pray. In other words, teach us how to pray. After looking at you and listening to you, we don't even feel like we know how to pray. We feel so deficient in this area. And that's exactly what the Lord's Prayer is. It, it serves as a general skeleton outline that highlights various truths in order to guide us on how we should speak to God. It incorporates everything we need to know how to speak to God. That's what the disciples asked, and that's what Jesus gave them. And that's really the context of the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord isn't teaching them a, a prayer to recite. I mean, folks, that, that take about 10 seconds. That's not much of a prayer life. I suppose there's nothing intrinsically wrong with an occasional written or memorized prayer as long as it accurately reflects your thoughts and your emotions. But think about this. You parents especially will know what I'm talking about. Think about the presents your children have given you over the years. Which ones were the most treasured? The ones they made, right? Sure, that coffee cup they made was a little lopsided and lumpy, but they made it for you. They poured their time and energy into its creation. And that's what makes it precious. Nothing they buy for you in a store will be as special as those things they made for you when they were small. And when we pray, God appreciates hearing what we have to say to Him much more than any eloquent poetic prayer that we could read to Him. Welcome to Verse by Verse. We'll get right back to the message in just a minute. We need to pause to let the folks who may have just tuned in know what's going on. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is our instructor for this radio Bible class. He's been teaching at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida since 1981. And this radio program is a natural extension of his ministry at Lakeside. Our topic today is the Lord's Prayer, and we plan to continue on that same subject for several more programs. The Lord's Prayer is brief, but there is a lot of spiritual meat packed into that small package. It takes quite a while to unpack it and understand it. So let's get back to class now and see how we can improve our prayer lives. 
Now, let me tell you something important. Before we even get into the Lord's Prayer, I will tell you that the only way that this, this study, and we're going to see this for the next few weeks, that this study about the Lord's Prayer, the only way it will help you in your prayer life is if you are like the disciples and realize you're deficient in your prayer life. That there's something lacking. That you're not where you should be. That you recognize that you have a need. That you need help in your personal prayer life. In other words, unless we see first our need for instruction on prayer, we will not receive the teaching of the Lord's Prayer. See, the reality is, for some believers, they don't want to learn about praying. In fact, they rather resent it that that anybody's going to tell them how to pray. And the thinking goes like this. You see, prayer is so, so private. It's so intensely personal that it's beyond being evaluated. It's beyond being critiqued. How dare Anybody tell me that I'm not praying correctly? I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I don't think that we should have anyone scrutinize our prayer life. Now, my response to that is that it's not just anybody scrutinizing your prayer life. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He has every right to scrutinize every aspect of our lives. And he has every right to show us flaws and deficiencies in the way we speak to, to God. He's Lord. He's King. So we say, Lord, teach us teach us. We're like the disciples. How, how do we pray? Well, what should we say? The Lord's first followers realized that they needed help in their prayer lives, and certainly we do too. That's really the whole purpose of the Lord's Prayer. It helps us by providing, as I said, a perfect summary in outline form, very concise form, of the way every Christian is to pray. See, everything you need to know about prayer is wrapped up in in the Lord's Prayer. Using the briefest of statements, Jesus sums up exactly what we all should be praying for, in principle, if not an exact wording. Now, let me give you a taste of how this works as you look at Matthew chapter 6. For example, when Jesus said that we should pray, hallowed be your name, he didn't mean that we should pray those exact words. As I said before, it wouldn't be much of a prayer life, just hallowed be your name, and that's it. He didn't mean that at all. He meant that when you pray, in whatever words you choose to to use, you should always have a concern for God's name, which means his character, his person, to be treated as holy. That's what hallowed means. So that that ought to govern your prayer life. That ought to be incorporated. You, You ought to have a concern in whatever wording you put it for God's holiness and God's name to be treated as as holy. Or in telling us, for example, your kingdom come. The timeless principle is that we should be praying for for people to be saved, to come under the kingship of Christ, and for believers to to submit to him and come under his lordship. And the words, give us this day our daily bread, means that we should ask God to provide for, for our individual needs, whatever they may be, that there's nothing too small to ask him, that he's interested in every need of our lives. And when we pray, forgive us our debts and do not lead us into temptation, it reveals that that our prayers should involve confession of our sins as well as asking God to help us in our personal struggles, those tempting areas of life. I mean, folks, that's, that's what this prayer is about. It's principles, laid out principles for us. See, this is why the Lord's Prayer is so significant because it contains all, and I repeat, all of the essential elements necessary for a meaningful prayer life. 
In other words, if you base your petitions on the principles found in the Lord's Prayer, expanding upon each one of these principles by putting them in your own words to fit your own unique set of circumstances and needs, you'll be praying in an effective manner. And you'll be praying in a righteous way and you'll be praying the way that Jesus intends for you to pray. As one Bible teacher put it, in fewer than 70 words, we find the masterpiece of the infinite mind of God who alone could compress every conceivable element of true prayer into such a brief and simple form. A form that even a young child can understand, but the most mature believer cannot fully comprehend. What a brilliant statement. But it really sums up the heart and essence of the Lord's Prayer. Now, the key to understanding the Lord's Prayer is to know that though this prayer lists six different petitions, that's the structure, six petitions, everything in this prayer revolves around one basic thought, and that is promoting God's glory. In fact, that's really the third characteristic of righteous praying. Righteous praying is characterized, number one, by pure motives, characterized, number two, by a proper view of God, and it is characterized, number three, by promoting God's glory, by wanting to exalt and and honor him. Let me show you what I mean. The Lord's Prayer can be divided and, and really naturally divided into two parts. No one's even forcing this. It's obvious that it's two parts. The first three petitions concern God directly. His name, his kingdom, his will. And the second three petitions concern our needs, our daily food, our sins, and our temptations. But having said that, it would be wrong for us to conclude that by the structure of the Lord's Prayer, that half of our prayer should be about God and half of our prayers should be about ourselves. Now, you see, the purpose of of praying is always, and note this, it is always to promote God's glory and honor. Always. And I'll I'll show you this in just a moment using Matthew 6, but I want to take you to John chapter 14, because there is no more uh, direct statement about why we should pray than found in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, verse 13, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. So that the Father, note this, here's why we should pray. Here's why he wants to answer our prayers. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And that's why Jesus said, if you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. We are to pray not out of selfish motives and only for ourselves without any concern for God. But we are to pray, Jesus said, so that God would be glorified in the answer. James chapter 4, verse 3 essentially says the same thing. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. These people were simply asking things, but only for themselves. To glorify God, that's why we pray. In fact, that is why God made us. God's glory is twofold. His glory is intrinsic. He is by nature glorious. But the other aspect is the glory that we are to give or to ascribe to Him. It's such a help to me to know that my purpose in life is to glorify God. In a management course I once took, the instructor stressed to us that our job as supervisors was to make our bosses look good. In a far larger sense, our job as followers of Jesus Christ is to make Him look good. Praying selfishly does not glorify God, does it? 
I hope you can join us next time for the continuation of this message. Pastor Steve is about to share a time when he really had to wrestle with the importance of praying for God's glory instead of his own wants and needs and the change that occurred when he humbled himself before the Lord. You have been listening to Verse by Verse, a presentation of Verse by Verse Ministries of Clearwater, Florida. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, has been ministering at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater for over 25 years. His verse-by-verse expository teaching style is both clear and relevant. Our website is versebyverseradio.org. We invite you to visit the site to learn more about Pastor Steve and our ministry. If you would like to listen to this program again, you'll find it there, and you might even decide to sign up for our free podcasting service. There is also a page where you can sign up for our complimentary newsletter. That web address again is versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to listen to this entire message all at once, it's available on CD or cassette. You can order it by calling 727-441-1714. Please leave your name and a number, and we'll return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714.